on this episode of the Rhetorical Sake Podcast. Last month in August of 2021, I received both shots of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Here we are a month later in September, and last week, I, around this time, was diagnosed with inflammation of the heart. So I want to preface this episode. In 2009, I was in Florence, Italy, and I suffered through swine flu. And it's not that I contracted it. I was given swine flu with the quote-unquote flu shot. It was the only flu shot I've ever gotten, I believe, and it was required in order to study abroad. And out of all 60 students, I was the only one that was placed in quarantine for three days. Um, I don't really remember much, and I've never felt, I don't know if that's feeling close to death or if that is just what it's like to have a gnarly flu, Um, but I don't ever want to go through that again. And it made me very suspicious of unnecessary vaccination. Secondly, I am a huge advocate and believer in knowing the efficacy of a drug and or vaccine. And I say that because I was number five in a four-year study for a drug called Discovy, which is a, we call it PrEP for short, um, pre-exposure prophylaxis to HIV. So in the gay LGBT community, gay men, trans, whoever, when you're sexually active and there is a high rate of transmission of HIV, which is the disease that turns into AIDS, um, we can take this little blue pill every day uh, to prevent that transaction. And even if someone is positive with HIV, if you are taking it routinely, it stops the transmission. It basically freezes the virus and prevents it from replicating. But it has to be in your blood. There has to be a consistent amount. But it took four years um, of testing this. And I mean, blood test every three months, um, every year or every six months, I believe. Well, no, not six months, depending on what doctor's visit I was on, but bone density scans to make sure that the drug wasn't um, basically weakening my bones, Um, STI, STD checks, and just general health care. Four years of that to get to where we are now with Discovy. And here we have the COVID-19 vaccine has been rolled out under emergency duress. And we're seeing seeing side effects. Um, Or are we? So I want to be clear about what I mean about efficacy. And according to msdmanuals.com, a credible healthcare organization, their global leader dedicated to helping the world with new medicine practices, um, treatment, efficacy is defined as it's measured under expert supervision in a group of patients most likely to have a response to a drug, such as in a controlled clinical trial. But just because a drug is efficacious does not make it effective, especially if in real-world use it causes adverse reactions. I say this because in my experience it takes years to determine a drug's effectiveness. Efficacy is one thing, but real-world scenarios, um, situations, the context, that determines the drug's effectiveness and whether or not it is going to have adverse results as opposed to when it was in a controlled study. So my purpose here today is I'm saying all this not to scare anyone, not to discredit or endorse the COVID-19 vaccine. I have produced this episode simply as anecdotal evidence. My aim, my mission, my goal is to open people's eyes to the fact that there is much more context to every single headline than what we read and hear about. I'm going to deliver my message based on my experience with some parts advocating for the efficacy of the vaccine and other parts arguing its effectiveness in real-world situations um, is detrimental or can be. Ultimately, I want to contribute to the cause of freedom, and that is the freedom of choice. 
And I'm inspired by the words of Martin Luther King Jr., who said, in the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And I have never gone into politics or controversial topics, really, like as far as politics and, you know, this stuff that we're inundated with day after day. But this is something that strikes close to home because um, now my life has been put at risk. But I'm going to explain why. And I'm not blaming the vaccine. Um, I'm going to tell my story and my experience. But in regards to this, and while I'm on the subject of Martin Luther King Jr., I want to address something that is kind of bothering me. And it is this idea of privilege. It's the concept of privilege. And this might seem a little off topic. But when I consider the January 6, 2021 insurrection, had it been thousands of black people, people of color storming the Capitol in D.C., that city, the streets would be painted in blood. There would be puddles of blood to show for it. Privilege. Don't worry, because I'm going to get to Black Lives Matter and the protests, the protesters, quote-unquote, the activists, quote-unquote, over the summer of 2020, because I have an issue with them and my people of color who have not sternly addressed. There's a video of a woman in New York City going off on a group of them, but there's not enough. And how the looting, the shooting, the fighting exploited the civil rights work of our predecessors, like John Lewis, like MLK, like those who marched, what, some 70 years ago, 60 years ago, for us to have the right to continue to protest non-violently, non-violently. And they exploited the legacy of MLK Jr. and let the capitalist craving of consumerism lead them to destroy their own communities, to loot and vandalize. So it goes for both sides. But this is what I'm here to do, is to practice my freedom of speech and my freedom of choice. Welcome to the rhetorical sake. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I gotta say something, because this song that I wrote I wrote it in 2013. 2013. There has always been something prophetic to my gift of songwriting. So it stirs me that these lyrics are so poignant and have been over the last year and a half, two years. And really, the full song includes lines such as, um, And we'll be marching through these streets, screaming, do not tread on me. And I'm black. So we already, my community, took back the N-word and now disdain the American flag. Well, how about we take back the flag and reframe its narrative? Take back Do Not Tread on Me, which was adopted by white supremacists, not created by them. We're so sensitive to how we frame these symbols now when in actuality they've been ripped out of context. This is probably the most controversial episode I've ever done. It may be the most controversial I'll ever do, but I refuse to let this mic sit on my desk and collect dust while I fight for my life. Welcome to the show. To the pretty boy rock, to the pretty boy rock, to the pretty boy rock, to the pretty boy rock. 
December, January, well, December 2019 and the beginning January 2020, I remember there was a nasty, nasty flu going around. Um, maybe just local to where I am in Southern California, but it was, I think, since like November 2019. And so I remember in the beginning of January, uh, I was about two months into a new job and one of my supervisors was actually out for a week with pneumonia quote unquote i mean probably was pneumonia i don't know but i do know uh, we started to hear about covid towards the end of 2019 surfacing in china so when that supervisor came back to the office within two days she was in and out and i remember i started to get hot and cold like violently like this this crazy fever and I called my grandmother, I called my aunt, because I didn't want to be alone. I had to leave work early. I was sweating, and I just, I didn't know what was going on. And I, I hadn't been that sick before since I'd had the flu before. So maybe, you know, that is the virus that I caught. But it only lasted like a solid 24 hours, I would say, because it was already kind of coming on that morning when I went to work. And then by 3 o'clock, I was like, I, I can't do this. Like, I can't sit up straight. And I remember just like rolling around on my bed. Like, it was it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And I mean, I'm someone who's gone through uh, withdrawals from alcohol and, and not really drugs, but alcohol. And, you know, I've, I've gone through the ringer before. I feel like I have a high threshold of pain. And that was gnarly. And two weeks later, um, Kobe Bryant, unfortunately, God rest his soul, um, he died over the weekend. And I remember crying and just feeling heartbroken. And then I went to work on Monday and I had this this pain in my chest um, and I just thought I was heartbroken I thought you know I didn't think much of it and then that Tuesday rolled around and I remember I was getting off work and I told another uh, manager supervisor who I thought could have been a little bit more empathetic to be honest but I was like yeah I think I'm gonna go to the hospital because my my chest is really hurting so I was driving to the hospital and then I had that classic heart heart attack move where you grab your left arm and I really couldn't control it I just grabbed my left shoulder and I was like oh god like I'm glad I'm like parking at the hospital um and so you know I got to the ER and at that point they were separating potential COVID cases from you know anybody else and so they rushed me back and did the EKG and took some blood but then I was just in the waiting room and I was feeling really uneasy and it took like half an hour, 45 minutes. And so I just went to the girl at the front desk and I was like, look, call me if anything comes up. I'm probably fine. I'm sitting here. I'm walking around, whatever. So I get back to my apartment. I mean, I've talked about this before. I, I walk up and there's uh, a fake eviction notice on my door, uh, not a pink slip, which was filed with the city um, because it was an unlawful eviction. But I'm like, oh, this is the icing on the cake. However, at the same time I'm finding this, I am getting a call from the hospital and they're like you need to come back right now um you're having a heart attack and so i get admitted to the hospital through the er um and throughout the next four days i got a stress test multiple stress tests um an ultrasound and a lot of blood work and you know where i was in um palm desert coachella valley you know it's predominantly white it's a you know there's a lot of high class people there but um, that hospital in particular I just noticed a lot of you know the medical staff were white we're Caucasian and I mean I'm part white so it's not like but I understand I guess now um, black people's distrust or you know fear kind of of the healthcare system because what would later surface was the question well why didn't they do an angiogram hospitalized me for four days but really not get into the interior of my heart and maybe they they didn't need to um but that was a question that would come up later 
So what they determined and what they did, they performed an MPI, which is a myocardial perfusion. Uh, it's called myocardial perfusion imagery. And so they pretty much were able to visualize my heart from the outside and they found um, damage to the interior lining of my heart which was reversible um, but I was diagnosed with NSTEMI, a non-ST elevated myocardial infarction which is technically a mild heart attack. Now the ST, non-ST elevated non-STEMI is part of the EKG heart tracking so since it was non-ST my heart was not pounding or racing which I would have felt um, but I did feel pain um, so but you know this damage had somehow incurred um, and my troponins were off the chart and so troponins are proteins that are released um, well according to DrAxe.com yeah kind of reliable but just you know to explain, um, troponins describe a group of proteins that are normally only found in the skeletal muscles and heart, but can leak into the bloodstream if the heart becomes damaged. These proteins help regulate muscle contractions and functions of skeletal and heart cardiac muscle fibers. They are released into the blood when the cells of the heart are injured and not getting enough oxygen and nutrients. The more severely damaged the muscles of the heart are, the more that is leaked into the blood. So it's kind of weird to not be having a real heart attack, but my heart is releasing these proteins saying, hey, like, I'm dying. I'm like, I'm not dying. So one year later, in December of 2020, I contracted COVID-19. And if you've been following the show, you've been listening, you can go back to episode 38. It's titled The Battle of 2020 featuring my mom. I'll put the links in the show notes. I'll also put the links to the studies and, you know, um, definitions I'm going to drop here during this episode. And, you know, in that episode, I talk about a lot about the symptoms, you know, loss of taste and smell. Um, but I also kind of had some flu-like symptoms, but it just felt weird. But I, my, I had chest pain in the beginning. Um, I, I think like the second or third day in, I was kind of pacing my room because I didn't want to go to the hospital if I didn't have to. Because I'm like, I, I, that's the last thing you want to do if you have COVID because that means it's getting bad. But if you have to go, you got to go. But I would just, I took... Um, my anxiety med because I figured maybe I'm just in my head I took my my blood pressure medicine and um, the heart medicine that I was on and I would take those daily so I wasn't expecting those to be like some miracle fix I also took aspirin and my lips and tongue while I had COVID were swollen and dry and itchy and so it was basically that is anaphylactic shock when your lips and tongue and sometimes your throat can swell and this could be a reaction to a bee sting can also be a reaction to some type of blood pressure medicine which I've had to work through I was on one medication um lisinopril I'll be honest and then after taking it I think for about six months one day my lip blew up and I posted on Instagram on my personal one you know looking like a you know a Kardashian or something and the urgent care doctor was like this isn't this isn't funny because it, it could have been your throat and if your throat swells up well then you only have like you know minutes to get help so yeah um check out episode 38 um there's a little audio journal my mom did while she was in isolation quarantine um and i tested negative two weeks later uh, and so i should have antibodies you know be stronger but also more aware, I was more aware because I was beginning to doubt coming towards the end of 2020 that it was even real. I was like, maybe COVID is just something I'm seeing on the news because I hadn't been really directly affected by it. And I realized like, this is real. And the distancing or isolating, quarantine, doing that ongoing after that may have very well saved my life and even beforehand. About three months later, in March of 2021, I had another myocardial infarction and that was frustrating because it was non-STEMI my blood work showing elevated troponins they did an x-ray ultrasound stress tests came to me and I've never I mean I guess that was the second time where a doctor you could just see it on their face they have bad news and so the results were not good pretty much they told me 
And at this time, I was at another medical facility where it was just a little bit more people of color. The staff was a bit more diverse, I think, the, the population. Uh, so I felt a little bit more at ease, a little bit more cared for, uh, a little less neglected, I'll be honest. Uh, no, I, I think the hospitals were about the same size. I'm not going to say that. But the angiogram was performed a few days later, and it showed scarring on my heart, but I was fine. And I've discussed this um, in episode 43 called I Saw My Light. My arteries were nice and clear, and they showed me this these lights flickering in what they saw, the visualization of my heart, this electric stimulation that goes on in your body. It's life. And it made sense because uh, despite being a little overweight, well, it didn't make sense because even though I'm a little overweight, I am an active person. I endeavor for weight loss, as I've discussed on the show. And yeah, some of it is superficial. I want the apparent results. I would love to get my six pack back and the bulging biceps and just be kind of veiny and vascular in my arms. But, you know, I'm a member of Planet Fitness. It's a judgment free zone. But I continued to follow up with the cardiologist that did the angiogram three weeks later. Still having this lingering discomfort and chest pain. And throughout 2020, I just kind of got used to it um, because I had been in the ER at the beginning of 2020 after the heart attack in January. In February, they diagnosed me with um, a fibrillation. So my heart wasn't beating regularly. And I was telling them, it's not like a pain, but it just feels like I can feel my heart. It feels like it's kind of rolling around in my chest now. And that, the more I went on and, and ran and took care of myself bit a bit um, and took my medication, it subsided. The, the pain, the discomfort, so there would be weeks without it. But in 2021, here we are, uh, March, I have this other infarction. I follow up with them a few weeks later. I'm good. Blood work comes back good. Um, I'm actually pulled up on my screen right now. I'm looking at it. And it's like normal, 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 which is great. And they're like, okay, you're laying off the booze. You are taking care of yourself. You clearly turned it around. So I go back in July for a follow-up and I'm going to read the clinical notes that this cardiologist put in my file. He says, uh, Eric is a pleasant 31-year-old gentleman. Why, thank you, doctor. That has history of COVID infection back in December 2020. And March developed this chest pain intermittently and also positive troponin. He was presumptive diagnosis as myocarditis, possible pericarditis after her, his catheterization that showed normal coronaries and echo. Also, Eric overall is fine right now he is feeling well he still exercises he stopped doing drugs and alcohol and his liver functions much better he feels better he's exercising regularly he still gets occasional discomfort that comes on and off lasting a few hours goes away and then comes back but not predictable not associated with exertion or exercise sometimes a release with gi medicines but he can tell a difference if he eats something bad womp 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 okay well, I'm, I'm going through these with a fine-tooth comb, these clinical notes. Um, history of COVID-19 is a section of this, and he says, Quest or residual scarring, but really no symptoms of shortness of breath. Continue monitoring for reoccurrence. I did talk about the COVID vaccination and how I think the benefit outweighs the potential risk, especially given his prior history of potentially COVID-induced myocarditis. I did talk about the COVID vaccination and how I think the benefit outweighs the potential risk, especially given his prior history of potentially COVID-induced myocarditis. Interesting. So in having this conversation with my cardiologist, uh, even though we didn't put it in the notes, we did discuss that he thought this pericarditis was caused by a virus. He didn't say COVID because... I don't know if that feverish thing I got in January was exactly COVID or the flu, but the fact of the matter is my immune system with the response it had during COVID with my lips swelling and my tongue swelling, uh, it has a, there's like an autoimmune issue. So it kind of overreacts. So he's thinking that it was lingering after my COVID infection 
my immune system was kind of trying to find a problem which was causing this inflammation of the heart I, and that's how he put it to me in layman's terms he also mentioned that my antibodies may very well by then this is july this is july of this year uh and i got covid in december 2020 the antibodies were probably waning off by then uh, by now so i discussed this with him and he made it clear he's like with the delta variant if you actually suffered from this autoimmune issue if the virus caused the inflammation with the new variant you may not your heart may not be able to handle it you know look at what happened a couple of weeks or a month after a few months after you got covid uh you you had another myocardial infarction so i had to take that into consideration and he told me look i respect you for waiting on getting vaccinated he said i respect you for coming and talking to me and waiting for this appointment because i really wasn't keen on jumping on the bandwagon for a vaccine that hadn't been researched for years the eff efficacy yeah was rushed but the effectiveness in real world time i hadn't seen or heard yet so we reviewed the risks associated i reviewed the risk associated with the pfizer vaccine i answered the questions honestly when i made my appointment and i kept in mind this discussion with the cardiologist and decided or assumed that the benefits of the vaccine outweighed the risks efficacy versus effectiveness all right initially after the first shot a week later i was sleeping an insane amount of time it was absolutely unreal it was uncontrollable and i honestly i can't imagine uh, if i was someone who had to report to a job like customer service and be suffering from those side effects of this injection I, I couldn't keep my eyes open like naturally and I even though I wanted to and I had things to do I was I was sleeping all hours of the day and then even through the night now the second shot a couple of weeks later did not hit me like that and I was I was pretty nervous about it after that uh, muscle aches especially in my neck and back but I suffered I have suffered from chronic pain due to several car accidents since I was a child and what has helped with that is yoga and eating less inflammatory foods or yeah inflammatory foods not inflammatory okay so september now september 2021 just last week i was admitted to the hospital again i went to the er and reported that i was experiencing chest pain and they did an ekg they also did the blood test and determined that once again I had elevated troponins. The cardiologists, you know, they admitted me and they diagnosed me with chest pain of pericarditis, excuse me. Even though while in the hospital, they wrote pericarditis on the summary here, my, my medical visit summary I'm looking at. But at the hospital, the when they came into my room, they mentioned myocarditis. And they had asked me in the ER and when you sign in are you vaccinated but nobody really wanted to dive into that nobody really elaborated on it and so just in conversation according to the ultrasound that they gave me according to the blood work um, they determined that it was myocarditis and I, I had the minimum amount of troponins where they just kind of had to keep me and so it says according so according to my summary visit it says based on your visit today the healthcare provider doesn't know what is causing your chest pain did covid or whatever i caught cause my first heart attack at the start of 2020 did the pfizer vaccine i received in august 2021 cause myocarditis i don't know but what i do know is that everything i just told you has been taken almost totally out of context. So I just wanna take this minute, this moment to interject and remind you all about my books, God Sent Dog, as well as Chasing God Alcoholically. These are both available on Amazon and Kindle. Um, I am so proud that I signed a publishing deal for Chasing God Alcoholically. We're working on God Sent Dog. Uh, if you want to find out more about me, check out www.erhunter.live. That's www.erhunter.live. You can follow me on Instagram at the rhetorical sake. I'm on Twitter, sake underscore podcast. 
I'm on Facebook. There's a Facebook page. There's a whole bunch of stuff. In any case, I got to give a shout out to my literary works. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm rounding the corner on the next piece. And it, this is all just so exciting. So let's dive back into this episode. I'm so grateful you all are here. And I hope you're enjoying the show. All right. So this idiom of to take something out of context, uh, the dictionary defines it to misrepresent the meaning of an utterance, an action, or a report thereof by omitting or altering the original context in which it was spoken or done. My primary purpose, the main meaning of this show, the official objective, this podcast name, the rhetorical sake. Rhetoric is such a powerful device. It is the art of persuasion through language and speech and communication, symbols, tropes, <clears throat> sayings. And we are inundated with it now more than ever. Even pictures and social media. That Those are forms of rhetoric. It takes many different forms. It is for this sake, this cause that this particular example I want to with this particular example of the COVID vaccine and everything that's going on in my situation with the heart inflammation I want to embolden the cause for freedom of choice because many of us are picking and choosing which rhetoric we allow ourselves to consume and or be influenced by while we refuse to gather all the facts or question the validity of statements or understand the actual context surrounding something so let's back up my my ethos my credibility let's look at what we heard about god sent dog chasing god alcoholically those books are about my struggles with alcoholism addiction and the recovery thereof not proud of it but also not ashamed of it either i am reminded of uh, this song by elevation worship uh, elevation church pastor Stephen Furtick they have a whole beautiful beautiful praise and worship team and uh, there's this new song might get loud and some of the lyrics are no I don't have a halo I am not a perfect man but I have a song to sing and I totally identify with that and that's that's kind of my ethos I don't have a halo I'm not perfect but I do have a story to tell I have a testimony I have uh, something to advocate for and then there's pathos, this emotional appeal. And it's meant to tug on the heartstrings. A lot of times people associate pathos with that. But it doesn't always have to be sad. Um, it could be enraging. It can make you happy. But that is a, a manipulating factor in, in whatever stories that we tell. It, it draws you in. And that's what we do with stories. We place ourselves in the shoes of the protagonist. It, it's simply a means of eliciting a human response of interest and intrigue. And then there's logos, the logical appeal. So that's why I'm reading off these objective studies, the results, my blood work, and diagnosis by doctors who have established, certified, licensed ethos. Their credibility is is college reviewed. They they've you know so when they say it, we we're more prone to believe it type thing. And it it's backed by an education. It's backed by this familiarity, this understanding, this knowledge of science and how to read the data. So I want to put into context January of 2020. During that time, if you've been following the show or you keeping up with me at all, whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, here we are. But at that point, I was under extreme stress. I was enduring extreme stress, a lot of cortisol blasting off due to work situation like a hostile work environment with sexual harassment I was enduring like I mentioned an unlawful eviction I had there was a ban on no-fault evictions I offered to pay my rent and the new owners of the building I was living in refused it and they wanted me to move out and not only did they want me to move out rather than give me a few months how they gave the other tenants who weren't black or of color they gave me a couple of weeks and I was the only one with a 12-month lease so I went to the housing authority and I'm like, look, this is happening. And they're like, well, that's illegal unless you aren't paying rent. So what they did was they disenfranchised me. 
um, my the previous owner, I tried to talk to her about it, threatened my life, told me um, maybe I'll just have my rich friend from Newport Beach come and take care of you. Next thing I know, a couple of weeks later, well, no, I was in there for about a month and a half. January 2020, I'm driving. It was Irie, my dog's birthday, January 11th. My wheel falls off my car. So the lug nuts had been removed from my wheel. The lug nuts of my car had been removed from my wheel, all except the one with the lock. And so now I, I check my car, my lug nuts, every time I go out to it, just out of, I don't, I wouldn't call that PTSD, just out of concern, uh, out of learning, out of distrust for, you know, people in general, kind of. And I was faced with a lot of financial insecurity because of what I was going through prior to January with them threatening my life, with the wheel falling off my car. I, I started to bring my dog to work and I just became, it, it appeared unreliable. Um, there were Monday mornings where my anxiety was sky high, but my anxiety was sky high because I was hung over from the weekend, to be honest. So my coping mechanism was that of an alcoholic. And that sets a little bit of context for leading up to this heart attack. Now, it does not negate the fact that I did get extremely ill. And two weeks later, yeah, I had a heart attack, but that is part of the situation. I can't omit that. That would be dishonest. And I'll be honest, I left the hospital angry. I didn't, I, I stopped drinking, obviously, in the hospital, but I went out and I had a threesome. And I was drinking vodka and smoking weed. I was mad at life. I was kind of mad at God, and I was mad at myself. I felt like out of everything I've gone through, now my heart, now now I'm kind of facing this. And I mean, no one had to say it to me, but it's like your life expectancy is, is going down. Now, whether that's due to stress, which is, you know, the doctors did say, you know, you're clearly going through a lot, but also you're coping with it in the wrong way. And I'm also trying to maintain this new office job. Come February 13th, you know, I had gone back to the hospital in the beginning of February, got diagnosed with AFib, and I had calmed down after the threesome and whatnot, and just wanted to get back to regularity. I wanted to get healthy, and I, I just, my blood cooled down. I find myself in court with this property manager, with the new owners. Um, my lawyer tells me, actually, there's some fine print and you don't really you're not going to win this but we can settle so you don't have an eviction on your record and as much as I would have loved to pay them with having to repair my car because not only did the wheel when the it would it would be one thing if the tire had gotten flattened but the wheel got dismantled so you have the axle and all these parts that I had to replace and I was disenfranchised and one thing I'm not going to do is is get to a point where I don't have my car or my car gets repossessed or something so I, I had a choice to make and at that point you know I settled on okay I need 30 days so I and after that you know March 13th I remember moving out and then Palm Springs shut down and I was I was homeless I was homeless and I continued to drink throughout the pandemic intermittently like many Americans and for me I felt like I was actually not that bad compared to where I had been as far as drinking. I was maintaining, I was going on runs here and there, um, but still depressed, still lonely as ever, and kind of bopping from a housing situation to another one with family, and thank God for them. But I was not alone in that, and many Americans started to consume alcohol more. And I bring this up back by a study, uh, researcher Grossman, Grossman, uh, this is from uh, PubMed, and it says uh, it's called Alcohol Consumption During the COVID-19 Pandemic, a cross-sectional cross survey of U.S. adults. 60% reported increased drinking of the, the sample they took. I think it was about 1,000 people. 60% reported increased drinking, but 13% reported decreased drinking compared to pre-COVID-19. Reasons for increased drinking included increased stress, which was 45.7% of them reported that, increased alcohol availability, 34% of them reported that, and boredom, 30% reported. Participants who reported being stressed by the pandemic consumed more drinks over a greater number of days, which raises concerns from both an individual and public health perspective. Now moving towards September 2020, 
we lost Alex Miotti, Alexander Miotti, and and I emotionally spiraled. I was I was heartbroken, and you can see that in my episode called "Tribute to Alexander Miotti." I think there's two more episodes kind of surrounding that I wanted to chronicle. It's not even that I really wanted to chronicle the pain. I didn't know what else to do. And one of the last times I spoke to him, which was about a year ago, and and yesterday, actually, I'm recording this. Yesterday was a year uh, since he was he was found um, deceased. And so it's been it's hard. It's hard when it happens. And it's hard, you know, the first year anniversary. The trauma of 2020 with everything going on with the protests uh, with the pandemic, it was compounded by the death of my best friend. And my drinking habits after he died, they changed and I began to black out and disassociate very easily, resulting in more issues with where I was living. And I just at a time got sober and then month to month, like I remember Christmas and New Year's, I was sober, but it was just like I kept going, getting on the wagon and then off the wagon on the in the wagon. So once my living situation deteriorated, you know, and it was all for the better in the end. March of this year, I found myself in a Motel 6, and I was on day five of uh, staving off alcohol. I wasn't totally sober, but I was just drinking what I needed so I could get through, because in the beginning of that week, I was, you know, shaking and, you know, the the basic alcoholic withdrawal symptoms. I was very surprised in that motel room when my heart locked up now I wasn't too surprised because I had been on a bit of a bender since you know things deteriorated residentially and then it seemed like economically just seemed like my world was crashing down a bit and again and so I I drove myself to a hospital and I stayed sober after that for a hundred days over a hundred days until the end of June and I, I went out and it only took six days in July or at the end of June for me to get back to AA and sobriety. And six days is all it took for me to hurt myself enough with alcohol abuse to get back on the wagon. Now, August of this year, last month, in between back shots, I had my birthday. I turned 32 and I, I went out. I, I started drinking again. I wasn't drinking the same, but why would I do that? Well, I was turning 32. Maybe it was a like third life crisis. And it was approaching the anniversary of Miyoti's death. And according to my therapist, I, I really didn't harp on this. I didn't really think too much about his passing contributing to my feelings of, of depression or, or grief or loneliness or whatever. But my therapist really has not let me hasn't let it go I feel like he harps on it and this is ongoing loneliness due to isolation I don't know about you but I thought this COVID stuff would be over by now and so the social distancing compounded by now my heart risk it's like well now my heart is at risk and I kind of need to social distance until this is absolutely over because I really can't risk getting COVID and then they're talking about breakthrough cases it was a lot and I drank, but not the same way as I used to drink. I was functioning and I, I told people that were close to me and it wasn't like I was waking up in the morning drinking. I was doing the normal thing, some wine at night. And that's just too much for me. It's just too much. So there's this rationale regarding getting vaxxed that I had in August where it was like, well, I've I've literally slammed junk into my arm. I, I let an acquaintance shoot me up with heroin when I was a victim of the Body Brokers program known as Rehab in Southern California. And I'm going to post a link to Rich Roll's podcast where he discusses how I didn't even I was so angry last night when I heard this because it, it, it's true. And I didn't even realize I was kind of uh, I wouldn't say a victim of it, but I got played. I, I thought I was there. These people had, I, I think where I was, they had a good intention. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. I just don't know. And when you hear about how people, I mean, and my friends would do it. They're like, well, if you go out and you come to this rehab and they would get a couple thousand dollars from the rehab 
you know, that is, that's like human trafficking. And so these people aren't slinging drugs. They're slinging bodies. They, and people have gone out and died over this. So I, I done heroin before. And if you read God sent dog, I discuss it in there. Um, once it doesn't matter once one time is one too many and that's that's also what part of the grief and kind of the survivor's remorse or guilt with Miyoti passing it's like well why not me why am I still here and so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing that's why I want to live and use my voice but anyway once again I weighed the risk of getting vaccinated and under the guise of medical professionals decided the pros outweighed the cons because I put way worse in my body so I thought um, because my heart, my immune system may very well not survive another variant or bout with COVID. Now, COVID-19 is real, and so are the risks associated with its vaccines. I'd be lying if I told you I hadn't been drinking off and on since my birthday in August, so there is no way to admit that truth from my situation. No, I did not have the shakes, or I, it's not that I couldn't go without a drink or needed a, a drink to function, but I was incredibly negligent with what I was doing to my body. So that bender paired with the introduction of this mRNA vaccine, I can't separate the two. And that's what I'm saying. We hear about the risk of young men developing myocarditis after receiving the vaccine and studies show that this is occurring in men over 19 years old even as old as 56 but what i'm asking is this what are young men often doing at 19 years old to 29 years old maybe even more so now during the pandemic in a time of extreme loneliness isolation a time of disappointment i don't know about you but when i was 18 and getting ready to go to college if somebody took that away from me i would be crushed no moving out no pledging a fraternity, no prom. I can't speak for everyone, but from what I gather, that's when we start drinking. We start enjoying this, these last savorings of our youth and this resilience that we have in our 20s, and it's almost this rite of passage before entering the labor force. So I would submit for your consideration that the context surrounding the livelihood and lifestyle of young American men should not be removed from the study of the vaccine's effectiveness. That is why I mentioned that when I left the hospital and, and had the threesome. As a young man, I was angry. And what do we do as men? We act out. It's not that we're talking about our feelings. We move. We, we do action. And sex is a very f physically fulfilling one. Um, drinking, fighting. In, what do they say? One of the most dangerous per people behind the wheel of a car is an angry young man. In any case, in sum, <laughs> I hope we all sincerely weigh our own pros and cons when it comes to getting vaxxed, when it comes to our risk of exposure, when it comes to where we give our business to. And I mention this because there's an argument rising about discrimination against the unvaccinated, and here's where I stand. We lost that argument in 2018. In 2018, when the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Colorado baker who refused to make wedding cake for a gay couple. Some are saying if refusing to serve someone based on their skin color is discrimination, then so is refusing an unvaxxed person. In my opinion, it's not discrimination. I don't have a choice in what color I am or my ethnicity. I don't have a choice in which sexes I'm attracted to, whether that's nurture versus nature or whatever. But getting vaccinated, that is a choice. And choosing to give patronage to a business that's checking these loose-fitting vax status, and don't get me wrong, I think it's dumb because it's, it's so, it's so, um, how do you say, it's not proctored, it's not, anybody could have a little card that says, oh, I got this done. You know, it's it's loose. It doesn't make any sense to to base who you're going to serve or who, who you're going to be friends with or something like that based on a little card that is very... I could lose whatever card they gave me that says I got vaccinated. What do I do then? So, it, but it's my choice to eat at a restaurant where that owner is doing that. Why would I give somebody my business if they're doing that? If I don't believe in what they're doing, why would I give them my business? So I'm not rooting for either side. I'm rooting for freedom. 
and I will keep doing so. I'll keep using my freedom of speech. I'm going to keep podcasting until I die. That's my rhetoric for the sake of freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of speech, freedom to know all the facts, not just the headlines. And that is my show. Thank you. I loved you so much Gave you all you ever needed My freedom and my peace Well I wrote a brand new song Yeah this goes out to you You and all your imperfections Everything you put me through Want you to know that I made it These sharks swallow me whole But I made it Hoping to fall in love Only came with a drink I boosted myself a stain And you could be a billion miles away And I would still wrap you in my arms Cause I love you Yeah, I love you You could be a million miles away And I would still wrap you in my arms Cause I love you A million miles away And I would still wrap you in my arms